If you are an international medical student or graduate looking to take your career to the next level by ditching the feeling of being overwhelmed and intimidated by the residency application process, you need the support and guidance that I have to offer you. And I want to tell you exactly how I can do that. I'm offering my comprehensive program that includes online coursework as well as cohort group coaching with community support to help you achieve your goals and succeed when you apply for residency this year. So my program is led by myself, Nina Loom. However, I do have other experienced medical professionals who've walked in your shoes and they understand the specific challenges that we as IMGs face. With my guidance and support and coaching, you'll navigate this complex process of preparing an application that attracts residency interviews. You'll also learn to build your network and gain the confidence and skills that you need to succeed. Free information like I've provided on the podcast is great. However, the rubber meets the road when it comes to implementation. Let me hold your hand and walk you through a process that is guaranteed to bring you results. I cannot wait to see you on the other side. So join now at imgroadmap.com. Yeah, I I would say this. um, One of the things that I'm recognizing now is that most trainees, they're just working for their hours, right? But what differentiates one trainee from another is the ownership of the patient. Mm. And that when you're doing an observership, it's not so much as like, well, I just came in, I had my coffee. I guess I'll just stand here and just wait so I can get this LOR. Like at the end of the day, they know where you're there. So my thing is like, I need to make sure that I show them like, okay, not only am I here, the nurses know my name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The patient care people, the patient care techs, part of me, they know my name. If they, if you need me to help you boost up this patient, please learn how to boost a patient up correctly. So I don't need you damaging yourselves. But it's just one of those things, like really having ownership of your patient, knowing what happened, doing the. the- The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. What, what? And we will use this video because it's typically an audio podcast, but I love having a video today. I think it's going to be great. Um, So we're going to do an audio and video podcast today. We'll be on YouTube and everywhere you listen to your favorite stories. But welcome, Dr. Michelle Aurelien. Oh, merci beaucoup. Welcome, oh, everyone. Oh, okay. Plus créole, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Bon, j'étais à Haïti en 2000, uh, c'était 2016 et 2017. Oh, vraiment? Après les tremble Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, okay, right after right after the earthquake twice to, to volunteer. So guys, that was me trying to recall my French and all of my French in me to share and that, that I've been to Haiti twice before. <laughs> but I'm so happy to have Dr. Nichelle Ohalian on the call today. She is, I've been following her on Instagram for years. We've never met or never even had a phone call before. And no. what you guys didn't see is right before we're getting on to record this episode, it was just like, we've known each other. Like, I feel very comfortable with her. I'm so excited Thanks. that you're joining us today. It is my utmost pleasure to have you. So before I go into more, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay. So the t- I knew that question was going to come up and it feels like you're going through an <laughs> interview process already. No, 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 no. This is different <laughs> from an interview. Right? Be like, well, okay. So as Dr. Nina Lum said, I am a first-generation Haitian-American. I was born in Naples, Florida, and then I'm also the pioneer of my family, I would say, to be the first one to go to medical school. I also went to an IMG, American University of Antigua, um, in Antigua and Barbuda. Thank you for the opportunity, right? And then, amen. Um, And then afterwards, I did my internal medicine residency actually back home in Naples, Florida. So the same place that my mother birthed me is the same place that I went and started my, I was part of the inaugural class. It was their first year. Wow. And I was part of their, 
girl. God is so good. And then afterwards, I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do, but I did know I wanted to go back up to the Northeast. I love, I miss and love New York City. So I uh, applied for a fellowship, point of care ultrasound fellowship at uh, Cornell and got accepted. And I just completed it, right? And it's just been one of the things where timing is everything. Before I even started residency, I did almost a two-year postdoc fellowship, what most people don't know, at Yale and their idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So thank you so much for Dr. Natali Kaminsky, because without him giving me a chance to go back into wet lab, I I don't think it would have bolstered my application process for the second time that I applied for residency. So Wow, that's an amazing story. So, for, so it sounds like after undergrad, you went into this fellowship, you, like you did this program before med school, or when did you do this pulmonary fibrosis work? So after I graduated med school, I did not match, bum, bum, bum. And yeah. I thought the world, and I thought it was over for me, right? Because you just hear about that and you're like, not me, because I got God on my team. I, what? what? <laughs> and then life happened. And it was the best thing that happened to me not matching that year, just because during med school, I lost two very close family members who passed away, my New Yorkian, my Thea, and then my cousin. Mm-hmm. And they all passed, well, they passed away within three weeks of each other. And then oh, that I'm same sorry. week, I had to bury them. Um, uh, right, craziness. And so essentially, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for residency. But in actuality, I think like, you know, I had to take a pause. And that's where research came in. And I did it for almost two years. And the first year that I applied there, so that was the second time that I applied for residency, didn't get in. So that's two times, right? And I was just like, what's going on? I feel like a failure because that's essentially what they teach us. You finish med school, go right into residency. And it's one of the things for me that I'm learning is that medicine does not have to be cookie cutter. And there's so many different opportunities within medicine. And so that's when I uh, got accepted to be a postdoc research fellow at Yale. And I worked at the, uh, the Anulin Center. I never pronounce it correctly, but I worked with um, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis mm-hmm. and basically worked with microRNA, worked in a wet lab, which I hadn't done since undergrad, which was just like, wait, a pipette? What? Yeah. It's, it's just one of those skills that I'm so grateful that I have. And I actually realized how much I enjoyed basic sciences without the pressure of, you know, you got to take this test and you have to do well and everything like that, just allowing myself to be present in that chapter. Wow, that is amazing. That is super amazing. And I, what I actually like is now you can reflect back mm-hmm. and you can take the good from what would have been a daunting chapter of your life. And I think sometimes when I speak with other international medical students or graduates who are going through the process more than once, that's something that they can't see, right? It's like they can't grasp onto hey, this shall pass, right? Like this is mm-hmm. painful, but it will pass. And someday I'll see the light in the tunnel. And so that's really hard to get to that point. But I, I really like that you're speaking from a point of, wow, reflecting back. I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful oh my for goodness. that research. And yeah, so tell us, tell us more about what are some things that you, like you mentioned, there was definitely grief in the process involved. And there are so many other like social or personal things that happen to us throughout our medical education that cause interruptions, right? But what do you think are some factors that maybe played into the no match the first and second time? Okay, so I would say for me, the first time is that I took my step to at the beginning of the year. So most people, they take their step to like in the fall and wait to get the results back, but still apply. So my thing was like, I still applied and I did have some interest, but most of them were like, okay, where's your score? Where's your score? And so by the time I got my score back, it was too late. So I didn't match. So that, that I know was one of the factors that played, but my thing was like, I'm not going to give up. I'm still going to apply, whatever it is. So then the second time that I applied, this is after I started my first year doing research and I just started. So it's not like I really built, built a relationship with my PI at Yale at the time. So it's one of those things that someone can write you a generic LOR. And then after you've spent time with them and you've worked, you know, in the lab and you've actually have done posters, have, have helped written publications, then someone can honestly like vouch for you and write an even more personalized letter. So I think that was one of the things. And then there was one physician who said he was going to write a letter and never sent it in. Mm. So that was what happened on the second time. And then I was heartbroken. I was like, 
So I called you, uh, I call God Jesus, like Jesus. I like, Jesus, what you doing to me, man? What, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> or woman. <laughs> so it was just one of those things where I was like, what's going on? Like completely heartbroken. And then the following year, like I had all my ducks in a row. While I was doing research, I was also shadowing some of the doctors who worked in the lab, but also had clinical time as well. So I would shadow them in the ICU. And so building that type of rapport as well, mm-hmm. like really making sure, okay, research check, right? Publications yeah. check. And, and now more personalized LORs. And people don't understand how necessary it is to have a personalized LOR. Because I forgot to mention this. After I finished my residency, I did do one-year chief residency. Mm-hmm. And so now it was me operating in the way that people look at applications and right. you know some of the things that are very important. And when you see another physician or attending write an LOR, and that LOR is probably five sentences, and people don't understand how people are like, so do you do you know them? Like, what does that mean, right? Yeah. And so it's just one of those things that you know, if someone says, "Hey, write yourself an LOR," please make that thing look beautiful, really learn to see yourself in that right. positive light to be able to write that LOR and really back yourself up and, and bolster yourself. Yeah. And so it was one of those things that I've recognized that I think that was the issue. Cause the second time around, I had LORs from, I think two, two attendings slash physician scientists. And then a couple of LORs from some of my other attendings while I was in medical school who I kept in contact with. And so that definitely like really made my application strong, not to mention that my residency, it opened after the match or after, I guess it's not the match. What do you say? After the residency app opened. So they had later applications coming in. And so the other thing for me, I definitely know helped is because I was back, I'm from back home. I'm Haitian, Haitian American. So I do speak Creole. So it's one of those things where apart from everything else finally being aligned, um, it was also that I, they knew that I could give back to the community. And that's mainly what I focused my personal statement on. Right. So I've made so many things that we can maybe apart, but right? I want the audience to, to get this. So you are now Logan's position, enjoying mm-hmm. life, right? Just living your best life. But- that's right. That's right, but it, wasn't, <laughs> it didn't start here, right? No. We're seeing on Instagram today, and we'll have her Instagram handle down below if you want to follow her fabulous life in the Northeast. But what we're seeing here today is a product of years and years of work and trials and tribulation put together to form this Dr. Michelle that we're looking at. There was disappointment. Finishing medical school after grief and loss, not getting in once, not getting in twice, working in a research lab, first having those feelings of, I don't know people, I don't know my left or my right in the research lab, building relationship, pivoting from that back into residency. But when you got in, you were almost super strategic in where you applied. And your application sounds to me like there was a personal statement that spoke to this program that eventually allowed for you to become a resident there. And there mm-hmm. were some ties, right? Like you said, being Haitian American, being Florida, being an area that service a Creole population, being able to find how you fit in and present that in your application. I mean, there's just so many pearls that our listeners can take home today. Like, I'm just like, we can end the podcast right here. <laughs> You're welcome. Good night. <laughs> Thank you very much for showing up. But, I mean, like, there's just so much. Like, you can do this in spite of, yes, you get trials. Yes, you get tribulations. You experience grief. You experience loss. And then you get denial upon denial. But then you don't give up. And you're like, you know, you reach out to whom you believe as your higher uh, power, God, I believe mm-hmm. is saying. And you do everything you can. So you're just not only praying, but you're praying and doing the work. Yes, the action. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So let's talk about your current day-to-day life because some people might not understand, like, you know, you did a unique fellowship that a lot of people I don't think really look into but I think has a lot to benefit, especially in the future of medicine and AI and 
just mm-hmm. being able to give quality to patients as far as quality care quick at the bedside. But let's share about what you do today. Tell us about your current career and how you got there. Absolutely. So Dr. Lam, one of the things that you talked about that I'm a big proponent of is just really understanding that within medicine, there are so many ways that you can you can skin a cat. Probably that's not the right way to say, I don't want Peter to come after me. It's <laughs> just so many ways that you can personalize your career to you. So after I got done with residency and then I did my chief residency, cause I was like, mm, still trying to figure it out. But also I still want to learn the administrative workings behind, right? That we, we normally as physicians, some of us complain about, but actually when you work through it and you see what some of the things that we go through as far as administration, that's another thing we can talk about. We'll put the shots to the side. Afterwards, I knew I wanted to go back into the Northeast. So then I applied for the point of care ultrasound fellowship. And that was the best thing that has happened to me. And the reason that I say that, just like you stated, AI, the stethoscope will probably only be necessary to auscultate if a patient is wheezing. <laughs> as the years go by. And point of care ultrasound has been one of the most pivotal, I would say, tool within my toolbox, right? In medicine, you have that toolbox where it's just like, hey, if something's happening with this patient, it's kind of an algorithm within your brain that you already know what you're going to do if this doesn't work out. Right. If a patient comes in with shortness of breath, okay, sure, they could have COPD exacerbation. Sure, we know that they have CHF, so maybe it's a CHF exacerbation. But the beauty about point of care ultrasound is that I can put my ultrasound to the patient's heart and look at their fluid status. I can put my probe on their lung fields and I can appreciate if there is any type of fluid collection or if there is any type of lung consolidation. And so it's just one of those things. My favorite part of my toolbox is that now when I make a clinical judgment, I have objective data that is not... It's not as invasive, one. It doesn't require any type of, like the MRI, CT, any type of in-depth scanning, because I feel like, no disrespect to ED physicians, but I feel like all patients get cooked going yes. through the going through the ED. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just been one of those things now when I make a decision and it's a clinical judgment and I, and I realize if I'm going to pivot or not, it's because now I have objective data with me. And for me, because I'm first-generation uh, physician, within my family. It's one of those things that you actually get to use to educate patients. Which patient has seen their heart beating? Which patient has been like, hey, I'm short of breath. Well, look at this valve. It's kind of funky. You know, this is why you're having all this fluid buildup. And it's just been serving for me as a means to make my clinical judgment, come up with a better plan because now I actually know what's going on. And third, it's just educating patients because at the end of the day, they're people just like us, right? And being able to explain like, hey, this is what's going on. This is why you probably shouldn't or why you probably should stay with your medication and, you know, take everything. So it's just been a helpful tool within my toolbox. I probably my most favorite tool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I agree. So I didn't have any, and for those listening who are a little bit lost, let's bring you up to speed. So (laughs) Dr. Dr. Michelle did internal residency training, served as chief resident, and Mm -hmm. then to fellowship in front of your ultrasound, right? That was a year-long program, I understand. Yes, it was a year-long program. It was at Wall Cornell. Program directors, Dr. Tan Ping Wong and Dr. Greg Mintz, love them. The most brilliant people, but the most personable. Yeah, so there you go. So there was training for an additional year in fellowship in Ultratone. So that's where we're at, just bringing you guys up to speed. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree with everything you said because I had never really used an ultrasound machine myself until I went into EM fellowship. And thankfully in the world of emergency medicine, ultrasound is getting really popularized. And uh, I guess current day ER docs compared to maybe older generation family or EM, EM docs who work in the ER didn't really do a lot of ultrasound. And now it's like getting super popular for all those reasons you mentioned. And it's just a phenomenal tool. I'm like, what? Like, I mean, you can answer so many questions really quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of expertise because it's not seeing things as you imagine them or seeing things as we saw in the anatomy lab, right? It's like thinking a little bit dimensionally, multidimensionally mm-hmm. when you're looking at, at, at the, you know, an organ or specific part of the body or whatnot. But uh, so that's where we're at. And then now, what what kind of practice are you in? Right. So currently, I'm doing locums, which is traveling doctor, traveling physician. 
whoop, whoop. And I, it has been, again, the best thing that has happened to me. I didn't realize how burnt out I was until the end of fellowship. And it's not to say I didn't love what I was doing. I was just tired. I think we all were. I don't think we've gotten a break for the last two and a half, three years because of the, pan- the Panasonic, aka <laughs> the pandemic, <laughs> the panorama. <laughs> so it's just been one of those things where I was like, okay, during my fellowship, I learned so much, but at the same time, I miss Christmas, I miss Thanksgiving, I miss New Year's, I missed, I think my mother's birth. No, I was there for my mother's birthday, but there was just, even my birthday, like I had to work and it just got to the point where I was like, you know what? Moving forward, I need to create wellness that works for me and understanding what type of wellness works for you. I love to travel. It just, it brings in a glow for me that I cannot explain, but it's just one of those things that locums has afforded me. So with my locums position, what I'm able to do is schedule my time. If I want to work a whole week, great. I'm not really into being a hospitalist physician that works seven days on, seven days off. Reason being, I feel by the time you get off on the seventh day, it takes you about three to four days to recuperate before you actually mentally are in a space to rest, but then you have to go back within the next three days again. And I wanted to create a way that created more balance in my life and allowed me to see my family, to see my parents and travel with my dog. And that's what locums has afforded me. I'm still doing point of care ultrasound at bedside if the ED has it just because certain hospitals, you know, the ultrasound is different places. But at the same token, if I'm at my max, then that's it. And then I don't have to go back to work probably for like a two weeks, two, three weeks. And it's absolutely lovely. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. I'm, I'm on the locums bandwagon right now. <laughs> Loving every minute it. of it. Every minute of it. Yeah. I think, I think what's frustrating is that locums isn't given a good rap, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you couldn't sign a contract or this, this, this. And, and no, it's not, I couldn't, I did not want to. I recognize that uh-huh. I, I don't want to say I'm Drake and I have trust issues, but <laughs> I just, I just want to, <laughs> I want to be in a position Thank where, <laughs> sorry. Oh, I love it. But I was just at a point right now. I got where, issues. Yeah, trust issues. Um, <laughs> But I feel as physicians in general, we're not advocating for ourselves more. And I feel that even though you get into these contracts, you still have to go to administrative meetings. If you don't, you don't get bonuses or whatever the case may be. And I just realized that I was starting to lose my love of medicine because of all the extra administrative hoopla. And I didn't want to lose that. And I wanted to still enjoy what I do, but not have that extra part of commitment other than the Hippocratic Oath. And managing my patients to the best of my capability and giving them standardized care from what I've studied, including new things that are coming abroad. But that's that's why I decided to go with locums. And I don't think I'm ever going to go back. I hear you. (laughs) I I resonate with everything you're saying because there's, I think, in medicine, we have unfortunately allowed Mm -hmm. for our predecessors to define what a good doctor is. And Yes, we need standards. We need benchmarks. We need we need something to look up to. But once it gets outside of the actual practice of medicine at the bedside, I don't think anyone should be defining a career for you at that point. Because there is no other career in the world where people get to tell you how to work in it. Now, you get to learn the practice of medicine. You get to go to residency. But then once you finish, you are in complete control of how you want to work. There is no such thing that every doctor must get burned out. There's no such thing that every doctor must only see patients in the clinic and only in the hospital. There's no such thing that a doctor can't run a concierge practice or can't do travel medicine and work once or twice a month if they choose to. But we've been so ingrained with, oh, I have to do call. I have to. No, you don't have to do anything. You choose to. Thank you. I'm an, I, I, I proclaim myself as an enjoyment ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where I prefer to reside just because I know by me taking the necessary breaks, it makes me a better provider as well. Absolutely. Because I'm not burnt out. You know, yeah. I can be present to actually listen and hear what you're saying, but also understand, okay. I can add this to my differential because you did tell me this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think so. that there's there's definitely, we're not sitting here, for those of you watching, listening, 
we are not saying that your desire to do a nine five in the clinic is wrong. We're no. not saying that your desire to step up on time off is wrong. We're not Correct. saying that your desire to do clinic and office and hospital and urgent care and OR is wrong. That's no. not what we're saying. What we're saying is you have the liberty to choose how you live your life after residency. And after residency, whether you're an IMG or not an IMG, nobody gives two craps about that. Because at that point, you have the right to make a career choice for yourself. You have the right to choose how you want to live your life. You have the right to choose the kind of practice you want to be in, the setting. And nobody would even bother to ask you whether you're an IMG. Like that's not a they deciding don't even. factor. Right. It's not a deciding factor. So just be focused on your right now because everything that you're doing right now is getting you to where you have the freedom to where you have the ability to make these choices and live the life that you dream of. It's not impossible. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm special, right? Are you super special? Maybe you are. Are you no, no, no. I'm as regular, regular. <laughs> I, I think the same. Like, what are the odds that I'll, like, transplant myself from West Africa, come to the United States, suffer imposter syndrome, go through residency, and then turn oh on have gosh. a career just like my counterparts who went to school here? Like, I'm not special. And you're not special. So our listeners, what we're trying to describe to you is you can go through all this pain. You can go through all this suffering. You can go through all this hustle and come out and get the career that you exactly want for yourself. Like it 100%. is possible. It is possible. All right. Now let's talk about some maybe more prep stuff for our listeners. Because a lot of them sure. are still in that phase where they're getting ready to apply into residency at some point in the future, or they've, mm -hmm. they're going through, maybe this is the second time or third time or maybe they didn't get interviews and things like that. This episode is obviously published or will be published or is being published January, 2023. So it's the start of the year for many. And so we're meeting the IMGs, you know, that are waiting on the match. And then we're meeting those that are going to be preparing for the next match or the yeah, reapplying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Reapplying. So let's talk to each one of these people, especially from the standpoint of you being a chief resident before what yeah. are some pearls. So, We'll break it down to three. So the first okay. one, what are some pearls for those who are preparing their rank list? So those are those who have just recently interviewed and are going to be submitting a rank list before February 1st. Sure. Oh, this is such a great question. So with chief residency, we would also do, you know, the virtual dinners. Mm -hmm. And for people who are applying, some of the things that I looked at because, hey, I, I, I'm black. Okay. Um, I would look at programs that had people that look like me and who also had residents that came from my same institution or other IMGs. Just because I, I feel that for most programs, you would hope that it is a healthy ecosystem and that if they're able to bring other IMGs through, that there's a higher likelihood that you'll be matched into their program compared to another program that, let's just say, has all American grads. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. And so there were a lot of IMGs who applied to our program during, during my time there as a chief resident. And I'd say we got a few of them because, you know, you could rank them higher up on the list and understand that they would turn out just as great physicians. So that would be one thing is really looking and seeing, you know, if they have other IMGs there, it's a higher chance. The other thing is to also go with the program for me that was closer to home. Residency is incredibly stressful. And it's nice to be able to be close by family to support you. I was fortunate. I just got to stay home. So that saved money too, That's right? Crazy. I was a mom. I'm an only child. Mommy, I'm coming home. <laughs> so that was one of the other things. But the, the other thing too is like looking for certain interests that you know will bolster whatever your career plans are. Like let's say making sure that if a program allows you to do like visiting rotations at other institutions, put that higher up on the list because that's that's something that, hey, you know you want to sub-specialize and there's nothing wrong with that. So just focusing on some of your interests. Other thing too is where you want to live because residency for the most part, it's only three years, three to four years, depending on what where you go and what you choose to do. But you also want to make sure that you have a life outside of medicine to create that in whatever form that you can. Just like we were talking about at the beginning, how you know we're not really fans of the cold weather. I was in a place where it was sunshine all the time. Can you imagine going through stress, having imposter syndrome, let's be honest, being depressed, and then living somewhere where it's just cold and dark all the time? That is not a perfect cocktail, okay? 
So it's just, it's, it's a, it's a cocktail for disaster, if anything. And so it's just one of those things like being cognizant of that and choosing somewhere where you see yourself in as far as what the residency looks like and how everyone gets along with one another. That's one thing I always say is really being able to, you know, go through these virtual dinners and, you know, if the chief resident and the residents are all like laughing and they're actually like, you can tell they like each other, like that's somewhere that you want to be because that, that looks like a healthy, thriving ecosystem to me. And also knowing that, hey, like this, the chief resident and everything kind of within that infrastructure is there to support and help build you up. And that's one of the things that I really looked at with people applying and honestly being like, hey, what are your real questions and not being afraid to ask them because that helps you better with your strategy and mm-hmm. ranking whichever program you think is best for you. It's not about, I would always tell people this, guys, it's not about, oh, I got a, an interview. It's not about that. Okay, I got the interview, but is this a place where I can really see myself? Because most people who do finish residency, sometimes, most times they stay, right? And the health of a program is being able to retain. Yeah. So you got to look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks yeah. for those. So now yeah. we've, so we, that was for those of you who are, you know, preparing to submit a list in February. Now, how about those who did not get any interviews and have to soak? And so, you know, like I said, this is coming out January. They haven't heard anything. Applications went out. Nothing happened. And now they're thinking, well, I'm just going to prepare for the soap. Any words for them? Oh, the soap. The soap is, is nothing easy. But I will say that I've had plenty of people where they got one soap interview, and that's what ended up being their their residency. So when it comes to the soap, just don't give up. Really change around your LOR, excuse me, your personal statement if you need to, because if it didn't go down the first, if it didn't go through the first time, then something has to change. Yeah. So making sure that you kind of bolster that. And if you did not match, like prepare all of your information right then and there and just get ready to essentially blitz all these programs with your application and don't give up. And Understand, okay, if it didn't happen, you're still going to apply next year, but you also have to change your approach. Yeah, I agree. I think if you don't match the first time, you cannot present the same exact thing that you presented the first time around. That is just a faux pas, right? If you had many interviews and did not match after all those interviews, and many to me is like over two or three, to be honest, you need to re-strategize around how you interview. Those are my two big recommendations. Yeah, because I believe you can convert a program after an interview. So after one interview, to the point that they can prefer you over other people. 100%. And and the reason I I believe that strongly, I've had two people pre-match already from my MG Roadmap program. And... When I look at them, I think I was sitting with one, she referred for an interview for her and she failed, I think, step one. And mm-hmm. that's a huge insecurity for her, right? And so she feels like, how do I talk about that? How do I move past that, right? And she goes on an interview. Actually, she had three interviews. She went on all three of them, got a pre-match offer at one of them that's close to her home, just like you, just close to home. I love and, it. And, and, and I'm just sitting back reflecting and thinking, what was the difference? Well, this is not a first time applying, right? And so the difference is this person literally was ready to do anything to present a different application. I mean, I'm talking networking, emailing, calling, getting coached, whatever she could do. And then she converts one program that's close to her home to give her that's all you offer. need. That's all you need. That's all you one. need. It's one. Just one. So I really think that what you're saying hits the nail on the head. If you prepare for soap and don't get in, then start again and give a whole new application. Whether whether that's a new personal statement, networking to get new letter writers, some observerships. And it's just not about getting an observership. It's about the quality of where you go. It's about the people that you meet. It's about the experiences that you gain and what you are able to give to them. Because it's in your giving that they want more of you. You're just 100%. not there to be a fly on the wall and follow people around. It's like, how does she interact or he interact with us? How can you position yourself so that they can envision you in this career with them, working alongside of them, right? I, 
yeah, I, I would say this. Um, one of the things that I'm recognizing now is that most trainees, they're just working for their hours, right? But what differentiates one trainee from another is the ownership of the patient. Mm. And that when you're doing an observer observership, it's not so much as like, well, I just came in, I had my coffee. I guess I'll just stand here and just wait so I can get this LOR. Like at the end of the day, they know why you're there. So my thing is like, I need to make sure that I show them like, uh, okay, not only am I here, the nurses know my name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The patient care people, the patient care techs, part of me, they know my name. If they, if you need me to help you boost up this patient, please learn how to boost a patient up correctly. So I don't need you damaging yourselves. But it's just one of those things, like really having ownership of your patient, knowing what happened, doing the, the reading that's necessary. If you didn't understand something, but like, hey, we talked about this yesterday. I read through it. So this, 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 can you explain it to me? Is there anything that I'm missing? Or is there is there a you know, kind of like a, a spark note as far as how you can understand the acid base faster, right? Because everybody has tips and tricks. But I honestly feel that when you show that it, like you said, putting in the work, but also showing that, yeah, I could, I could be your resident. This is what you're getting. Yeah. You know, yeah, this is what you're getting. And one of the things that I did want to say is that really keeping your mind right after having these rejections and failures that look like failure, but in actuality, it's just repivoting you. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, coming back with a different approach. The other approach I would say is the coaching, the interview coaching, my, my sorority sister, she, she is a great human resources guru. And so I met with her three, four times for my application, like having an interview and she would ask me certain questions and she'd be like, "Mm -mm, that's not how you answer the question. I'm like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like taking aback, like a gasp. But it was the best thing to have. Like, ooh, like, I, listen, my dog Bella had secondhand embarrassment. Like, just log off. <laughs> but it was one of those things where now, even with us talking, when someone asks me, like, so tell me a little bit about yourself, it's not so much as like, oh, what do I say? Okay, I already have something that's already in my mind and pre-programmed. When someone asks me that question, what can I talk about and how can I highlight my strengths and if there is a weakness such as failing an exam, it's not so much, yeah, I failed this exam. Okay, so the exam, it was an area of weakness. I realized what happened and this, 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 and this is how I, this, 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 fixed it, remediated it. And then, you know, then you can explain how that also adds to you as a person, your character, and why you're back at it again. And it's just those things that many of us, we kind of get lost in that 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 haze of oh my god I can't believe I failed I failed I failed but it's just one of those things when you understand that failure is not so much as that you failed but it's just another way for you to bolster up whatever your technique is and your approach game changer game changer game Game changer yeah I'm with you 100% so I started this new thing on the podcast where Oh, actually, we have one more group to talk to before I go. No. On. <laughs> I was about to start rounding up, but no, not yet. No. So the okay. last group is the group that is preparing to apply September 2023. So this is January 2023. And yep. hopefully at the time that, you know, you are watching this podcast, you over there at home, you will have access to my IMG calendar, which just helps guide you as the, you know, benchmarks that you can meet each month when you're preparing mm-hmm. to apply in September of 2023. And that will be in the show notes. But so let's talk to that person that is applying September 2023 toward a match in 2024. Right. What can they start doing right now? Well, I think they're probably be studying for boards, right? Yes. So with your board studying, making sure that you get board prep for me, MedQuest reviews, I believe with Conrad Fisher, Dr. Conrad Fisher. Mm -hmm. One of the things is learning your studying technique and knowing who you are and how you retain information. So first things first is making sure that you pass your exams and finding the best modality to work for you. And then also starting to get your LORs together. You have no idea how many LORs are behind time or running late because you know people ask for LORs like in April, June. You don't want to do that. Don't do that. <laughs> ask yeah. for it, you know, give 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 your attending at least three months, if not more than, just to make sure that your LOR it looks good. You've looked at it and it's it's presentable, right? Because you want to make sure that you do match. So it can't be a five sentence LOR. Yeah. Um, the other thing is just 
also, if you are deciding between what specialty, right? Because most of us, we like one or two and really understanding that you, you're forging really great rapport with your attendings in order to have a really good LOR. The other thing is your personal statement. If you have to pay someone to look at it and go through it with you and talk to you to help you write your personal statement letter better, by all means, please do. If you failed something, any of your exams, by all means, talk about it in your personal letter or personal statement, excuse me. That was one of the things where it was nice to see if someone was upfront mm-hmm. about a failure. I yeah. always put failure in a quotation mark because it's not real. It's relative. Anymore. Yeah, it's relative. It's relative, but it's not yeah. right. Yeah. Nope. And so I love when I would see someone, I knew they failed it, right? I already went through all the application mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, okay. And then when you read the LOR, yes, I did. But, and then seeing how they change that narrative and what are some of the things they did to bolster themselves and their application. It's just one of those things that are like, whoa, cool. Also, as nerds, we are still people. Have something that you enjoy to do because when you do get stressed, you need to be able to find something that you enjoy. And honestly, you'll meet other doctors who probably do the same thing as you. So just make sure that you're still relatable and still human. I know a lot of people talk about research and all this stuff, and it is good. Publications are great. But also, you don't want to be so, you don't want to be so nerdy that you're, that you're socially inept. <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, like you can't even explain a pathological process to a patient because all you do is speak big words. And I love big, I'm a local fan myself, but you know, that's not what a patient's looking for. A patient's looking yeah. for someone who is intelligent, but also who is kind and, and who can, you know, understand that, hey, my doctor may not know what's going on with me, but they care. Right. And that will top everything, 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 because everything. they know that you will go out of your way to make sure you figure out and get the necessary specialist or whatever the case may be. But I, I would say those are the things that just making sure within your application that you do and just show that there's human to you. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you on mm-hmm. that. So we're pivoting now into toward the end of the podcast, but guys, stay till the very end because I'm going to tell you something really cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> so I've been doing some rapid fire just to, you know, kind of make the atmosphere a little bit more relaxing. I think most people who listen, listen because they're ready to learn something, take action, do something new. But let's, let's, let's take it back a little. We're all humans. We have different interests. So we just do this rapid fire question so we can get to see the other side of you. Are you ready? Let me take my sip of water. Okay, go for it. Let's all right. It. So a little stretch here. <laughs> so let's what's go. your favorite movie? Oh, okay. I'm a hopeless romantic. So I would have to say, can I choose two favorite movies? Yes. All right. So my hopeless romantic movie that I love is Pride and Prejudice with, um, right. Listen, for me, the English are so witty. I don't like slapstick funny. I like funny where it's just like, oh my gosh, that was, that was actually really good. And then the other one, because I believe in having a sophista ratchet lifestyle is all about the Benjamins with Ice Cube. Not familiar. Not familiar with that one. Hilarious. Yeah. 45, 47. If anybody catches that, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tell us in the comments. Next favorite food. Mm, okay. I'm going to say for right now, you know what? I'm Haitian. So it's always going to be the black mm, rice, the Haitian mm, black rice. Yes. Yes. I like that stuff. Yeah, with some some pickles, mm. some yeah, some hot. Yeah, yes. Yep. So that would be my favorite. Yeah. yeah. And now, what is your mantra for success for those who are at home listening to you? Mm. What is the big takeaway? What makes Dr. Nichelle Orion spark? What keeps her going? Betting on yourself and proving yourself right. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that because when I sent you the intake form for the podcast. And I said, I always ask, what are some challenges that you've experienced so that I know to like ask about it? And Mm -hmm. your response was the first time I've ever had anyone put that on there was like betting on myself. And I was like, that's, that's real. So go ahead, go ahead. Tell us more. The reason I say this is just, we have, we deal with so much imposter syndrome during intern year. I went through depression real bad because I was working in a lab at my own hours And then I went into residency where everything's regimented. You have to be somewhere. You have to do this, 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 this. So it was Heartbreak Hotel in that regard. And then recognizing where I'd come from 
like, sis, you weren't even supposed to go to med school. You could have been stuck in Haiti. Like, let's be honest, right? Mm. Ma'am. <laughs> so I could have been stuck in Cameroon. <laughs> listen, okay. I need to think oh, about okay. that more. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, right? Like, I went ahead and did my mom right here, but it's just one of those things where you're recognizing, like, there are so many things stacked against you. And the gall for you to know that, yeah, I see it, but I'm still going to do it. And then mm. to do it and to be here now, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where there's so many things that could have stopped me or deterred me. And I was just like, that's it. I'm not doing anymore. And I definitely with the support of family, with prayer and just recognizing like, I'm a pioneer. I'm not saying it's supposed to be vegan cupcakes and sprinkles. But one thing for sure and two for certain, I'm not giving up. Like, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to prove myself right. And it's just been crazy because I'm like, girl, you've been to two Ivy League institutions and didn't pay tuition for that. Like, it's insane. Funny. Like, I was at Yale, I'm at Cornell, and now I'm doing locums. And it's just been one of, like, I look back at my CV and I'm like, nah, you, she's impressive. You did that. Right. And it's because I, I didn't, I get down, but I didn't stay down. I continued to bet on myself. And it's just one of those things for anyone listening, please, 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 please do not give up on yourself. Continue to bet on yourself and continue to prove yourself right. And I feel that just because it's like, you're the pioneer. You're the one who has to make the change in your family. You're the one who has to unfortunately go through this. But the beautiful thing is that you go through it and I'm going to be here and Dr. Lum is going to be here cheering you when you do arrive to the other side, because look at you proving yourself right. You are yeah. a phenomenal physician. You always were. Your scores didn't determine it. People who didn't send your LORs or, you know, just didn't come up on their end doesn't mean crap. And you're, you're worth it. And in that regard, yes, you are special because you didn't allow yourself to succumb to those things. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like they talk about diamonds being made in the rough. And having mm. to go through it's basically carbon going through yes. so much pressure and so much pain, but look how beautiful it turns out to be. I'm telling you, it's right? it's amazing. It's, ama- it's no. amazing. I, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying it's, it's just amazing. I'm just super happy and I get to meet amazing people now on the other side. And then also allowing myself to live. I feel that within these 10 years of studying and everything, matriculation, like I like the newer medical students now with regards to they don't live their lives regardless. I don't think that we understood that balance then. No. We didn't have that balance then. And so I no. think now, you know, people see me, like you said, I'm traveling, I'm living my life. And I'm like, I have a lot of time to make up for those times for grief, for disappointments, for setbacks. Yeah. And I'm grateful. Yeah. And for everyone listening and watching be like Dr. Michelle, like, you know, just look forward to the time where you will recover. Like this Mm -hmm. will be worth it. Everything that you're doing right now will pay off in dividends. It's just hard when you're in it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be like that forever. Trust, trust. It will not be like that forever. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So where can the people find you? Where can they connect with you? You know, we're going to have some IMGs that want to reach out because they've never heard about an autism fellowship. We're going to have some that want to reach out because they're like research. Wow. Was it paid? Was it unpaid? How do I get in? Um, You're going to have some other people who just want to hear more from you about getting into internal medicine residency. Still want to maybe just connect to learn from a private chief resident. How can they find you? Where can they find you on the internet? Yes. So on the interwebs, on the internet, I am on Instagram. I'm under Nash, N-A-C-H-E-M-D. Super simple. I usually go by Dr. Nash because like you said, we're just humans. And then I'm also on TikTok, but I need to, I'm not that great on there. (laughs) (laughs) And then if you're looking for me, I'm also on LinkedIn under Nichelle, N-A-C-H-E-L-L-E, Aurelian, A-U-R-E-L-I-E-N. If you want to get in contact with me there, I'm there as well and ready to give you some useful nuggets to help you. Guys, we'll have all of Dr. Nasha's info in the show notes. If you're listening, wherever you're listening to your podcast, it's going to be in the show notes. One click so you can get right to her profile, follow her and start your conversation in the DMs because it goes down in the DMs. Mm. And if you're here (laughs) on YouTube, I'll be in the comment section and we'll have her info also linked down 
below. Yes. Thank you for being here today. We're matching the turtlenecks today. It's cool. I got the email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, that was not included in the email. But yeah, we're matching today because it's cold. It's winter. Well, the winter yeah. wonderland. Yeah, but NYC is not respectful right now. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not at all. But I'm so happy that I got to connect with you. More importantly, I'm really happy that I got to meet you. And I think after this, I'm going to ask for your number in an email. Because I feel like we could like chat about locum stuff and, you oh, know, sure. give each other the pep. Because, I mean, sometimes it gets lonely because you don't have like a permanent home because you're kind of hopping up, you know, up and down. But trust, I have plenty of friends in the community that I can hang out with. But it's, no, good, for to sure. have, it's good to have people to balance those stuff with, too. So Even Jeff, with co- collegial things as well, right? Because sometimes you have a yeah. patient like, hey, I know this is ED, so. Uh... Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> what Absolutely. are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking over here? So, yeah, right. we should definitely connect off the the internet. I would love mm. that personally. Yeah. So I'll definitely reach out for that. Okay. All right. Very well. Thanks guys for listening. And if you are new here, like, and follow, subscribe to this podcast, leave us a five-star review. I'm going to start asking for reviews in 2023. That's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start asking. I'm going to go do a review right now. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm like, I need to start asking for reviews. I never asked for reviews. And I'm like, that's the only way your podcast gets discovered. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And it's such a pleasure. And to my fellow nerds who are in the trenches, you got this, you bet on yourself and you will make it and it's going to be glorious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. You're so welcome. Look at you. I'm so proud of you for listening until the very end. And because of that, you deserve a reward. And I want you to go right now to drninaloom.com and download any of my free ebooks, whether it's for electives or clinical rotations, or even just whatever trials come your way as you navigate your IMG journey. Stay tuned for another episode coming up next.